You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. So as you're turning in your Bibles or you're firing up that Bible app there before you, uh, we've been in a series uh, called The Church Assembled for God's Glory. And we've been in this for about uh, three weeks already. Uh, And uh, the reason that we're doing some of this, we we usually are walking through the gospel of Mark together, but we've stepped aside uh, from that for the next, for for six weeks, uh, to intentionally focus our eyes onto what it means to be the church. Uh, Like I mentioned earlier, membership is coming to our young church, and it would be foolish for us to ask you to commit to something that maybe we're not sure that you know about, or maybe we haven't been clear about as well. And so it's vital for us to take this time together to focus on what it means to be the church. We want to seek clarity. We want to be on the same page together for what it means to be the church. So so if you have been with us, we began just a few weeks ago, we started with a bird's eye view of of the church according to scripture, looking how God is assembling his people from Genesis to Revelation, how since the beginning of time, he has been assembling a people for his glory. We we learned that the church was rooted in an old thing, and now in the new covenant, it's a new thing, and that it's Christ's thing. Uh, We learn that Jesus is the one that's building his church, and we as a church want to be a part of the church that he is building. We don't want to be a church that man is building. We don't just want to be something that's built in our own efforts. Unless the Lord builds the house, the labors who build it build it in vain. We then learn from Acts 2, 42 to 47, that the church abides together. We've seen the testimony of the very first New Testament church, and it showed us that we need to be devoted to receiving God's word together, that we need to be devoted to sacrificial fellowship together, to be devoted to regular worship together, to be devoted to fervent prayer together. Uh, These people couldn't get enough of Christ, and they couldn't get enough of each other. The Spirit was at work in them. And then last week, we learned that the church connects together. You know, as God wrote scripture, he used some really insightful metaphors to describe what the church looks like. Uh, Last week, he showed us that the church connects as a body growing in maturity. We're Christ's body. The church connects as a bride, Christ's bride growing in purity together. And then we're also a living temple and we're growing in sacrifice together. We saw that the Spirit of God was always moving the people of God towards the people of God. The church cannot be the church unless the church is connecting. And then now this morning, we're going to learn that the church shares together. So the church abides, the church connects, the church shares. And so let me begin by asking you this morning, When it comes to being a part of the body of Christ, maybe in your past or over the last year or maybe even this last week, do you find it a real challenge to connect to the body of Christ? Like sometimes you just don't want to connect with God's people. Maybe you wake up Sunday mornings and you say to yourself, I am just so exhausted. I know that I should go to church but I'd rather sleep in or I'd rather go to the mountains to play. Or maybe during the week, maybe it's small group night and you're getting home from work and that couch is beginning to look really cozy, right? Your favorite uh, Netflix uh, episode is gonna be on that evening. It's, it's begging you to stay and, and you say to yourself, I just don't have the energy. I know that I need to be there, but I just don't feel like going. Or how about that one Saturday a month when men's or women's ministry is gathering and you think to yourself, well, I know that I just learned from Acts that the church met day by day, but I just can't do it today. Now, the reason I bring this up is to highlight a part of our church culture in the West that needs to change. It's, it's the reality that, that we, we know that we need to be with God's people. We know that we have to be God's people. We know that we need to be abiding. We know that we need to be connecting. We know that we need to be sharing. And yet, when it comes down to it, the desire just isn't there at times. When it comes to the church, yes, we should go to church. 
Yes, we ought to be with God's people. Yes, we have to serve. We get to share. Yes, we are commanded by God to regular regular gatherings together. This is all true and right according to God's word. But more than just the ought to or the have to, we have to understand that we get to be the church. We have to understand that it's a privilege to be God's church. And more than just having to be the body of Christ, we get to be the body of Christ. More than just having to be the bride of Christ, we get to be the bride of Christ. We get to be his temple. It's so incredible that God would use such an imperfect people to work out his perfect plan in this world. It is a privilege. And so we have to move beyond the ought to, to understand that we get to. And when we get that, when we understand that, then we will ultimately want to. And when that happens, all I can say is look out, Satan. Look out, world. Jesus is coming to you through us. And so this morning as we desire, we desire to want to. Lord, put that desire in us that we can't get enough of you and we can't get enough of each other. We're going to to strive to want to by looking at three get-tos this morning. And the first get-to that we're going to look at this morning is that we get to spiritually thrive as his body together. The apostle writes in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the gathering of your body the gathering of your bride, the gathering of your living temple, the gathering of your church. What a privilege it is to be your people. And Lord, we come before you this morning and we confess that that at times we're not walking as that body. We're not serving as that body. Our desire to connect as that body and to, to do the works that you have called us to do sometimes is just not there. We confess that before you, Lord, this morning. Would you change that in us? Would you create that desire as we study these get-tos, how we get to be a part of your body? Lord, we love you and we thank you that your word is always open and it always convicts, but it also encourages. With the commands, there's always the indicatives of what you have done, who you are, and who we are inside of you. And Lord, as we reflect on those things and look what you have commanded us to do, help us to understand the privilege of what it means to be your church. And we pray, Lord, that you are going to do mighty things through this group of people in this room right now. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we get to spiritually thrive as his body together. Paul is is showing us here that the church gets to thrive. The church gets to thrive as a functioning body of Christ by his grace through faith. We see that by grace, God is teaching us here and revealing to us, according to the measure of faith, that God is assigning gifts to us by his spirit in order to be equipping us so that we can be a thriving, living, functioning body of Christ. In this body, we're not to be thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, right? Christ-likeness is not pride, but it's humility. We are to be thinking soberly with sound judgment. That means that we're not operating based on our feelings or our emotions, If we did, we would soon resort to to childish jealousy and boasting in the gifts that God has given. I don't know if you have any brothers or sisters, and 
and it's Christmas time, and, and uh, the presents are being handed out and being opened, and, and you're looking, as you open yours, you're looking across at what your brother is getting, and you're thinking, his present is better than mine, or, or my present is better than yours. That's not the desire of the church or the biblical uh, imperative here for us. Instead, we are to have sober judgment, right? Believing in what God has done in us by his spirit. Not looking across the table. Not being jealous. We need to understand God's sovereignty over his design of the church and his implementation of the gifts among the body. And Paul is reminding us here that he, he's emphasizing our diversity, and he's emphasizing our unity as Christ's church. He says in verse 4, For as in one body, we're seeing unity there, as in one body we have many members, diversity. And the members do not all have the same function. That's diversity. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, unity, and individually members of one another, diversity and unity in harmony. And we're having gifts that differ, that's diversity, according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. This is what it means to thrive as one body. We are members of Christ and we are members of one another. We're understanding that each one of us here walking in the door this morning is unique. We are unique in our person, we are unique in our talents, and we are unique in our spiritual gifting individually. And yet God's perfect plan for this church is to unite us together, by grace it says, as one flourishing, functioning, living, thriving, diverse, yet unified body. Only God could do that. And that's what he's all about. He's all about getting his work done for his kingdom together through us. And we are exhorted here to be walking in that and to be responding to him by practicing what he has given to us, by, by living out what he has instructed to us, by operating and using the gifts that he has given to us. He says, let us use them. And then he goes on to list some of the gifts. He says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith. So as the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets in this apostolic age of the church, as God is still writing his word uh, to his people, there was apostles and he was also still using prophets to speak to his people, both forthtelling and foretelling his revelation to mankind. If service, it says in verse 7, in our serving. So really those who are, are gifted in practical helps. We have a lot of those kinds of people. They love to serve. They love to use their hands. They love to be serving the Lord here. We're so thankful for you. We also have here the one who teaches in his teaching. Right? That's the ability to, to study, uh, to interpret, and to explain God's word to his people, both in the pulpit, but also, say, in a Bible study or in another gathered time together, like a small group as well. Verse 8, how about the one who exhorts? Right? In his exhortation, it says, uh, this is the gift of calling and encouraging brothers and sisters to obey the word as taught. Martin Luther said, the teacher transmits knowledge, but the exhorter stimulates, right? So, so many times a teacher or a preacher is preaching the word to you, and then you might have a brother or a sister in Christ challenge you in that word, exhorting you, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, speaking truth in love. We also have the one who contributes, and it says in generosity, you know, some people are, are much more gifted financially than others. And so the Spirit uses them in generosity to help in ways that maybe some others can't help. The one who leads with zeal, right? With zeal, it says. If you're leading, lead with zeal. Now, spiritual leaders are not lazy. They are eager and they are diligent for the task at hand. And then finally, we see the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. In the church at this time, there would have been many people who were poor, many people who were sick, and caring for them may have been a grim task. 
It may have been unpleasant, but the Spirit gifts certain people with a heart and a desire to help people in their hard situations and to do it with cheerfulness. And then 1 Corinthians 12 goes on to list more spiritual gifts and how we are to be using them. But the key here is that these gifts are from the Spirit. They are being used by the Spirit. They are His gifts that He privileges us to use. And as we obey and as we follow, as we get to use them, the Lord does His purpose through the body and He does His purposes in the world through the church. This is a, a small picture of the church functioning, thriving. It's, it's diverse. It's united. It's gifted, yet it's humble. It's spiritually thriving together as one beautiful functioning body. Now, as we think about that, we also understand that the church can be messy at times, right? We're imperfect. We walk in here with weeks, a week of sin upon us or, or throughout the week, and we understand that, yes, the church should be thriving and yet we also are struggling. And so the Lord knows that, and his spirit is strong enough, his word is powerful enough to bring you back and to bring repentance and faith and to be, bring healing and joy in that place. So brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian here this morning, if you are in Christ, you get to be a part of this. You get to be a part of this joy that is called the church. You get to be privileged to be here. If you're a Christian, you are also specially gifted by God's Spirit. Each one of us here this morning is gifted by the Holy Spirit if we are Christians. And each one of us has been diversely designed yet uniquely gifted by God to do our part in the united body of Christ. Well, then you may be asking me, okay then, if the Bible says that I'm spiritually gifted, how do I know that I'm gifted? And what am I gifted with? And so my first response is to trust the Lord, to be patient to grow in his word, like we studied last week, grow in his body, begin serving in the church, and you're going to discover what you're gifted with. Be faithful in your church, and the Holy Spirit will move you in the direction of his spiritual gifting. He will do it. Spiritual gifts are not a lottery. Discovering them is not magic. It's also not a formula. So one thing with that, I would say don't run to those spiritual gift surveys. You know those things, spiritual questionnaires, right? You fill out this list of questions and then how you fill it out kind of calculates which spiritual gifts you have. Now, those things may be helpful to find out what kind of personality you have, but they're not reliable for discovering what spiritual gifts you may have been given. Your spiritual gifts are not discovered through a test. It's much more natural and supernatural than we think. As you delight in the Lord, as you give yourself to God's word, and as you grow in prayer, and as you connect and grow within God's people, and then you also begin to serve in the church, you're going to eventually see how God has gifted you. So instead of filling out a survey, begin to examine your life right now. Examine your growing desires. And then watch for what the Lord is doing in you. Check your heart for the desires that he is giving you. Here's some questions for you to be asking yourself prayerfully. First one is, what can I do for the Lord right now with my present abilities? Maybe it's mercy. Maybe it's serving. Question number two, what type of ministry am I drawn to? Maybe I'm drawn to teaching. Maybe I'm drawn to, to some kind of administration, right? Question three, what specific needs are there in the church body right now? Since the beginning of our church plant, uh, we've had this kind of mantra among us that uh, you may think at this time your hand, but we actually need a foot right now. And so we may need you to be doing that kind of work right now. So 
what specific needs are in the body right now? And I'm going to go and serve those things and see if I'm gifted in that area. Maybe, maybe it's the gift of helps. Maybe it's the gift of uh, giving. Question number four, have I tried to use a certain gift and have regularly failed? Maybe you're not a preacher. Maybe you're not a teacher. Maybe you're not a leader. Question five, have I tried to use a gift and have discovered a certain amount of success with it? Maybe you are a preacher. Maybe you are a teacher. Maybe you are a leader. How do you know until you try? Have I asked my closest church friends to help me discern what gifts I have? That's what's so sweet about a small group, getting to know those people. They get to know you and study you, and then you get to serve the Lord together, and they get to see your giftings. A lot of the times, you just can't see it. And then somebody asks, hey, I'm looking for somebody to help me with this. Oh, this guy is perfect for that. What does my family believe that my gifts are? What does my wife believe my gifts are? She's the closest person to you. What giftings are my pastor and leaders and mentors seeing in me? Really good questions of self-examination. Where has the Lord gifted me? You see, the connection to the body is vital for discovering your spiritual gifts. Really hard to try to understand this and discover this in isolation. And so as you're connected to the body, as we grow together, as we're built up together, the Holy Spirit begins to produce spiritual fruit in us, and then we're given opportunities to serve and practice and then discover how God has gifted us. And then as he gifts us uniquely and in unity, we get to be on the front lines of what he's doing. The Holy Spirit gifts you specifically to be doing his mighty work in the world. So the first thing we need to understand is that we get to spiritually thrive together as the body of Christ. And as we spiritually uh, thrive together, as we're gifted spiritually together, as we're united in one body, as we're working properly like we learned last week in Ephesians 4, the next get to that we get to get to is to get to work. Get to work, the work of ministry. Point two, we get to faithfully invest for his kingdom together. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. We get to faithfully invest for his kingdom together. This is such a privilege and an honor that the king would do his work through his servants, right? It's not just have-tos, it's get-tos. It's not just a command, it's a desire that should be growing inside of us. The Lord privileges us to advance his kingdom. Matthew 25, verses 26, we see Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God what it looks like. And he says, starting in verse 14, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. So we're seeing that this is a parable. A man is going on a journey. He is, he is going away. The man that is going away here is Jesus himself. He's, he's speaking parabolically about his uh, ascension to the right hand of the Father. And he's speaking about leaving his disciples behind and how he's going to send his spirit to empower them and gift them. So the parable is pointing to what his servants are going to do with his kingdom. Are they going to advance it, or are they going to stunt it? So Christ's disciples then, and the church now, have been entrusted with the task of multiplying and investing for Christ's kingdom. They've been entrusted to do the work of ministry with the gifts that God has given them. He's given us his spirit. His spirit is producing fruit and gifting us. As, as the Spirit gifts each person uniquely, Jesus entrusts each person in this parable 
according to his ability, it says, he gives them what they need. One guy gets five talents. Another guy gets two. And another one. And these talents are to be used. Just like that Romans passage we were just reading, just so use them. And so as we look at this, we see that there is this dilemma. Are they going to use them? Are they going to invest it? What are they going to do with those gifts? Verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. So we see here both of these guys multiplied their master's money times two. And the text says that they did this at once. There was no hesitation here. They got right after it. They got to work. They didn't wait around. Their work and their effort was multiplied greatly. We see that they doubled their money. But what about this last guy? Verse 18. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Right? He didn't do anything with the money. He just dug a hole and put the money in the hole. He didn't understand the goal that had been entrusted to him. He didn't understand what, what his master was wanting to do. His master wanted him to invest this money, make something of this investment that I have entrusted you. But he simply hid the money in the ground. Why did he do this? Verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He got it. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus invests in us so that we can invest in his kingdom. He, he entrusts his gifts, and the gospel to us, not to lay dormant with it, but to advance, to multiply, to grow his kingdom. His, his economy is not stagnant. His economy is not flatlined. As Jesus spiritually grows us, he wants his kingdom to grow as well. We are given the gifts of the Spirit for the work of ministry. And he delights to work through us to multiply his kingdom. He's getting work done. Jesus gets work done and he calls us to join him in that work. Not in our flesh, but as his spirit empowers us and gifts us and grows us and sends us out. Jesus is a working God. Actively at work, sustaining the kingdom. He's getting things done. It's designed to grow. And so we see these two faithful investors. They bring their multiplied talent, their investment back to him. And Jesus does what? He blesses them. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Notice that he gives them both the same reward. Even though their initial deposit was different, one guy had five, the other guy had two, both were faithful. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is not rewarding based on results. The Lord rewards based on faithfulness. As each of us are gifted differently, the Lord just calls us to be faithful stewards to what he has given us, to what he has entrusted to us. 
So whether we are gifted with helping others who were down and out, maybe we're really good at providing meals for someone or cleaning someone's house, right? The gift of helps. Or you're gifted with faithful service to the church, like you're doing setup here in the morning or you're greeting newcomers or you're filling communion cups, right? The gift of service. Or whether you're leading a small group or you're teaching a Bible study or you're leading a ministry or you're preaching. The Lord is not rewarding based on fruitfulness. The Lord rewards based on faithfulness. You just need to be faithful in what the Lord has given you. And let him look after the fruit. So let's together be faithfully investing our lives and our gifts for him. And then let's watch him do an incredible work that only he can do. The fruit is his. So we need to know, also in light of this, that faithfulness is a proof of our salvation. It's a spiritual fruit. Unfaithfulness receives no reward. We've just seen that in this text. Unfaithfulness reveals to us that maybe we don't think we, maybe we don't have the faith that we think we have. Verse 24, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Question mark. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Lord is serious about his kingdom. And this servant's unfaithfulness ultimately reveals his true character. It reveals that he truly wasn't grateful for the investment that was entrusted to him. He revealed that he truly didn't believe and trust in his master. In fact, it says that he was afraid of him and he accuses him of being a hard master. He didn't understand his master at all. And ultimately, he's dishonest. His unfaithfulness proves that he really had no faith at all. And God's righteous judgment affirms that as well. This is not the church that we want to be. We don't want to be a stagnant, stingy church. We want to be going for him with the gospel. We don't want to hide what, he has been, what we have been entrusted with. We don't want to dig a hole and put the gospel in there and put our gifts in there and cover it up. We don't want to be hoarding God's gifts to ourselves. And he has given us so much. He has privileged us so much to be used by him for his glory. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we going to be faithful together? Luke 18, 8, Jesus asked the question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? When our master returns, will we be found faithful together? As we remember the rich blessings of being his body, of being his bride, of being his temple, can we together as a church this morning commit anew to the work that he has called us to do, to be faithful to what he has commanded us to do and understand that we get to do this. This is a privilege. Investing 
in the kingdom requires faith. But it's faith in a surefire investment. It's guaranteed because of the blood of Jesus Christ himself. You, when you invest your life in the kingdom of God, you're investing in, a, in an economy that is being built by Jesus Christ himself. And what does he promise? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's surefire. It's guaranteed. You're not going to lose out on this. As we invest our time and our talents and our treasure and our lives together for him, the return on the investment for the kingdom advancing is that souls are being saved. Souls are being saved from eternal hellfire. Just like we were saved. The return on our investment is worth so much, we can't even count it. The return on our investment for us is heavenly rewards, not temporary distractions. And most of all, the return on our investment is the smiling face of Jesus Christ. As he says, well done, good and faithful servant. He doesn't say, well done, good and fruitful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful church. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. We need to get this. And so we ask ourselves, are we faithfully investing ourselves for the kingdom together? Or are we investing ourselves in endless temporary distractions here and now? Do you know the spiritual gifts that the Lord has given you? Are you practicing them? Or do you think that you don't have any gifts? Are you using the giftings in the body or are you hoarding them, hiding them in a hole? Are you faithful? We get to faithfully invest for his kingdom together. So as the church, we get to spiritually thrive as his body. We get to faithfully invest for his kingdom. And lastly, what I want to look at here is that we get to boldly go on his mission together. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. We get to boldly go on his mission together because the body of Christ is a growing body and it's a going body both growing and going. The natural outcome of us growing spiritually is that we get after the work and Christ grows the body by us going. After Jesus was crucified and after he was resurrected from the grave, he appears to his disciples and he's teaching them and he's instructing them right before he ascends to heaven and he gives them the charge in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. He, re he records here his great commission. Starting in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Notice there's one missing, the unfaithful one. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This was the marching orders for the disciples. This is the marching orders for us today. Nothing has changed. This is the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not a suggestion. It's not a choice. It's not an option. If you are a Christian, this is the mission of your life. This is the mission, the primary mission of your life with the days that you have left on this earth. Remember, you have not been just saved from your sin. You have been saved to the church. And as you're saved to the church and you grow in the church, it doesn't stop there. It's a going church. You're on mission. The mission is not just for the super-Christian. 
It's not just for those who are the edgy Christians, the brave Christians, the bold Christians. This is the command for all of God's people. This is not an option. And it's a command. And it's given by the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. It's, it's, the, it's, it's the one who, who spoke eternity, in eternity past, and he created everything that you can see and that you can't see. And he owns it all, and all of it has been placed under his feet, and he is the head of the body, the church. This Jesus is the highest of all authorities, And he looks upon his weak and his foolish disciples and says to them, go therefore. Why? Because he is the highest and most supreme authority. Because he is God himself. Therefore, his disciples must go. Right? He's going away to the Father's side in the heavenly places. And the disciples are then to go to the ends of the earth. As he goes, we go. And he says to them, go and make disciples of all nations. And so we see that the gospel is for every person, everywhere. And the reason Christ commands us to go is because this is how he is going to reach all peoples everywhere. This is, this is his plan. This is plan A. There is no plan B. Jesus sends his church. He sends his people. There is no plan B at all. There is only one plan, and he is going to save the world through you. That's how he does it. In the Old Testament, the gospel was come and see. In the New Testament, the gospel is go and make. In the Old Testament, people from outside of the Jewish faith would come to faith as they engaged the people of God in the land of God. God placed his people and his temple in the very epicenter of civilization. Very intentionally, very purposefully, so that others from all over the nations would come in contact with Jerusalem, with the people. Psalm 66.5, come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. But now that Christ has come, the message is no longer just come see. The message is go and make. Therefore, the New Testament church, the body of Christ, is not a static thing. The body of Christ is a dynamic thing. The body of Christ has arms and legs for a reason, for the purpose of going, for the purpose of mission. And the mission is to do what? It's to make disciples, to make more disciples, to make more followers of Christ, to see spiritually dead people come alive in Christ. That they would no longer worship themselves, but that they would worship the only true and living God, full of mercy and grace towards them. We have been entrusted with this. To carry the message that God himself came to do. Such mercy, such grace. How he saved us from our sins because we couldn't save ourselves. To go and share the news that that death and sin and pain and hurt and hell could all be reconciled, could all be healed, could all be forgiven in one person and in one person only, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The one who became sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Through turning away from our sin, through repenting of our sin, and trusting in his perfect sacrifice on the cross for our sins. That's the message that we have been entrusted with. That Jesus Christ rose from the grave, conquering our sin and death, conquering our hell, and coming back for his bride. He is the one who will wipe away all tears. And pain will be no more. If you're struggling with pain and hurt, 
There is only one who will wipe away those tears perfectly. And while you're here on this earth, as you open his word and as you trust his spirit and as you receive the counsel of who he is from faithful brothers and sisters around you, you can begin to experience that healing and that forgiveness. And you can be a part of that thriving body of Jesus Christ. He is the one who rose from the grave. That is our message. We have a resurrected God. He is not dead. He is alive. He is the one, Psalm 103, 3-5 says, who forgives all of your iniquity. He forgives all of our sin. He's the one who heals us of all of our diseases. Our spiritual sick hearts get healed in him. He's the one who redeems our life from the pit. From the pit. He redeems us from everlasting torment. He's the one who crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. He raises us up as co-heirs of his kingdom. He is the one who satisfies us with good. He's working all things together for the good of his children. He's the one who makes us alive. He's the one who restores our hearts to worship. And so let me ask you, as you reflect on the indicatives of what he has done, who he is, and how he has brought us so near, now that you have this charge, are you making disciples? Be honest with yourself. Are you making disciples? Are you going together for the Lord? Is your desire the same as Romans 10, 13 to 15, if you know me, you know this is life verse in my life. Romans 10, verses 13 to 15, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But it only happens when we go and make. Look at the rest of the scripture, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? Brothers and sisters, the Great Commission says you're sent. You're sent. Go and make disciples. You are sent. There's no special words on the breeze that are going to fly into your ear and, and give you some special calling. The scriptures say that you are sent. Jesus sent you when he said those words. Go. And it's such a beautiful thing when we go. Look at Romans goes on to say, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This great commission tells us also that we don't go alone. As we're baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, all of our Trinitarian God is involved Every aspect of salvation is with us as we go. In verse 20, we're teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You know, teaching and baptizing always happens within the context of the church, right? And the church is not a building. The church is a people, which means it's the body of Christ. The church is a people, and we go together. And then he says, Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As we're the body of Christ, the head of the body goes with us. Without the head, we're dead. Jesus Christ goes with us always, and he has promised us so much. He will build his church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he is going to be with us until, until the end of the age. And so we need to ask ourselves, what are we afraid of? What's holding us back? If the creator and sustainer of the universe is forever connected to us and fills us, what do we have to fear? Yes, the Great Commission is a command. But don't miss the glorious reality that the Great Commission is a privilege. We get to be a part of what he is doing. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the church shares together. We 
get to spiritually thrive as his body together. We get to faithfully invest for his kingdom together. We get to boldly go on his mission together. If we're not doing those things, we're not being the church. So when we move beyond, we have to. And we embrace that we get to. We will ultimately want to. That's our goal. We want this. This should be our desire. It shouldn't be, I have to, I ought to. I want to. I get to be a part of the body of Christ. And when that happens, like I said at the start, Satan better watch out. The demons better be trembling. The world better be ready because Jesus is coming to us through, or coming to them through us. Jesus is going to seek and he is going to save and he is going to build his church for his glory. We get to be a part of that. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, how systematically we can look at uh, the metaphors of, 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 the, of the body of Christ. We get to see what you say about who we need to be. But we also understand inside of that that it's not just a command that we can do on our own strength. We can't do anything of any good, of any value, of any spiritual good for you in and of ourselves. Lord, we need your spirit to be at work in us. And Lord, we also understand that as we give ourselves to sin, we stunt the Spirit's growth in our life. We, we grieve the Holy Spirit in our life. The Spirit who is to be producing spiritual fruit in us. To be gifting us with spiritual gifts. And so, Lord, as, as a body, we confess and we repent before you. Sometimes we approach the church as, as a duty. And Lord, we pray that you would produce a delight in us. Helping us understand that we get to be a part of something so glorious. Lord, we pray that you would do that work in our heart. Only you can do that change. And we want to come before you as your people and ask you collectively together, by your spirit, by your word, by your grace, would you use us to build your kingdom? Would you privilege us to be used by your good graces in this world? And Lord, may we delight in it because in the end, you get all the glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.